The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. In addition to our weekly projections made available to all patrons early each week and our FBS team profiles available to our Tier 2 subscribers, Patreon supporters also help keep the show ad-free and help fund updates and future projects. For as little as $5 per month, you can help support this show and contribute to the continued improvement of CFB Winning Edge. Thank you to our Patreon supporters and visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more or to join. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, C-R-I-C-H-E. On the Twitter machine, Nick, how did week six treat us here? I mean, just the the games themselves were uh-huh. uh, <laughs> for for you know neutral observers at least uh, maybe one of the best most exciting Saturdays we've had in a very long time. I mean, I've seen some lists that have. Uh, I know there was one at the Athletic where uh, before the year they went back and looked at you know what were maybe the greatest Saturdays in college football history. And then went back after this weekend, and and you know for whatever formula was used uh, this past Saturday, ranked among the top ten, and I I would have to agree uh, with the Texas A and M upset win over Alabama, the way Oklahoma and Iowa both overcame uh, deficits to win exciting games, and you know all of those being. Uh, maybe the the biggest matchups of the week, providing the best games. Plus, Arkansas Ole Miss was an incredible game. Uh, there were some Sun Belt games that uh, were were great to watch. A lot of close games throughout the day. It was a incredibly exciting game on the field uh, for me personally. I know for you as well, Scott. For for probably different reasons. It was a little bit frustrating, <laughs> but uh, but overall the games were were great. Yeah, I mean, the the games were good, and, you know, Xavier kind of flinched when I said this Texas OU game could be one of the classics, and unfortunately for me, it was uh, not for the right reason, and it was better than last year's, and last year's went into four overtimes, so um, it was a crazy one, but how was your week six there, Xavier? Oh, comfortable. As Georgia comfortably handled their, you know, their their ranked versus ranked matchup, it was fun mm-hmm. to just watch everybody else. Uh, you know, um, obviously having no dog in the fight in other games is great. Obviously, I'm always rooting for Alabama to lose, so for them to go down to A and M was amazing. Uh, I think, funny enough, I think Nick called that game when we were we're not necessarily an upset, but called that game as being one that Alabama may fall in the preseason before. Obviously, we saw what Texas A and M was made of, so it made it a little bit more shocking. Uh, you know, one game that you guys didn't mention that I loved as well, you had two in the ACC. You had Notre Dame, Virginia Tech. That was an amazing ball game. Uh, you also had Wake Forest at Syracuse, which also Nick called that Syracuse was going to be a closer game in that in, in the Carrier Dome. And, you know, Wake Forest 
blowing, which it would look like it was going to be just a, a simple victory in the fourth quarter. You know, one the last drive from Syracuse has a you know roughing the passer penalty on it, and you know Syracuse is able to come back and almost win the game in overtime. And so there was a lot of good games uh, this past weekend. So I, I think I think you know this. I'm not surprised that it was a top 10, you know, weekend in college football history as a whole. It was, it was just a really fun weekend uh, across the board. So how did we look for week six, Nick? Well, this was part of the frustrating part. <laughs> uh, you know, Xavier gave me, gave me maybe a little too much credit on a couple of uh, those, those mentions. Uh, the projections, you know, uh, the, the ones I care the most about are our official projections against the spread, so our team strength numbers. Anytime, you know, when we're going through this show and I say our model says, you know, this 27-21 final, whatever that is, uh, we do track the total. um, And those have been okay, had a decent week last week. They've been bouncing around back and forth, good weeks, bad weeks on totals, but we were 29-22 on the over-unders last week, which is 56.9%, which is... You know, that's a that's a solid week. If we could do that every week, I'd be very, very happy. Uh, the problem was the numbers I care about most are those against the spread. And we were 23 and 28, which is 45 percent, which is terrible. Um, but our against the spread numbers have, you know, similarly had good week, bad week, you know, 500 week. And so we're hovering right around 500 on both uh, for the season. We're 50.2% overall, 49.4 against the spread, 51% on totals. I'm not happy with that by any stretch. There were a couple of, uh, again, just frustrating things. I go through, and I, I need to get a lot better at automation so that this process can be quicker and less uh, just you know, time time consuming and, and uh, kind of a pain to deal with. But on Tuesdays, a very large portion of my day is going through all of the uh, projections that are done automatically in our FBS team profiles um, and, you know, writing them down, organizing everything, putting in a post for our Patreon supporters. And uh, last week there were four games that during the course of that process, uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm making updates to personnel, uh, anytime there's like injury news or, or anything like that. If there are a couple of, uh, numbers that, you know, I, I look for in our team performance ratings, if they're not available, uh, on Mondays, I, I, you know, try my very best to, uh, add those in before the projections, if they come out a little bit later. And there was a situation last week where some late, information ended up going in uh, and flipping four games that were just very, very close. Our, our model was very close to the uh, odds makers, you know, point spreads in the market uh, during that time. And it moved two, it moved three of those four affected all three agree selections. And one uh, made it so that uh, we added two, all three agrees, excuse me, we, we added two, all three agrees, and then we took one away. And it's just so happens, bad luck, we lost all four of those games. Uh, the, the one that we, uh, that would have been an all three agree that we lost, like that, that moved off of the list, 
uh, we would have won. And the two that we moved onto the list that weren't all three agree that became all three agree, uh, we lost. So and instead that's how of going, it works, right? I mean, you know, it's it's just part of it is is bad luck. Part of it is you know just sort of it is what it is. Um, but it's just very God, you know, it's it's frustrating because even though they you know that wouldn't have made it a good week for all three agree, uh, which has been maybe the single worst thing uh, that we've projected all year after being really, really good in 2020. And it's why we've been highlighting it, you know, since uh, it just, it just made it, you know, that much worse. So uh, it was a, it was a frustrating week for, for a lot of reasons, but uh, on the note of the, the all three, agree, excuse me, the all three agree, those are at 41.8% this year, which is just, I mean, you could pick games out of a hat and do far, far better. So it's, Point it's flips, right? Yeah, and, and so that's that's extremely frustrating because they were at fifty-seven point two percent last year. And yeah. I, I try to say often that uh, you know we do talk about things you know against the spread, and and we did uh, talk a little. We have a betting game that we did mostly in the preseason. We've kind of fallen off a little bit during the during the season. But I'm not as much interested in, you know, offering gambling advice or, or things like that. It's more so grading how well our projections are, are doing. And it's just kind of keeping score. And, yeah, we would love to, um, you know, win. <laughs> we would love right. to, uh, you know, be able to, to, if there are folks out there who are using our information um, or our projections to bet, we would certainly like to, to provide value for those people and not uh, present something that's performing horribly, uh, you know, uh, it, it numbers wise. But it's just this year. I mean, it, those have, those have been those have been bad, and we've had some unlucky breaks. But we've had you know we've obviously got some things we've got to fix as well. But then, uh, and I'll wrap up with with this. There's a little bit of a silver lining, and and you know when numbers are struggling, uh, you know it's easy to look for excuses. It's easy to say, oh, we were unlucky. Uh, we you know part of that fifty-seven point two percent last year. There was probably some good luck in there too, you know. So it does have a way of of working out sometimes. But one thing that I I only started tracking this year, which I actually need to go back and look at previous years because I can calculate it. It just wasn't part of our our weekly or, or annual process. Is absolute error. So how are our projections? compared to the actual results, what happened on the field. So if we project a team to win by, you know, 7.45 uh, points and they end up winning by six, the absolute error is one point, whatever. I forget the number, number I just pulled out of the air there. But, but you know, how far are our projections off from what actually happened? Last week, when we had a bad week against the spread, was our very best absolute error of the season. We were 11.16 points off of the actual results across all FBS versus wow. FBS games. It was our best of the season by almost a full point. Our second best week of the season was 12.07 in week four, which this is also frustrating. That was a week we were 29, 28, and one. So just barely yeah. 500. That's so weird. For, for our two best weeks. Right. And part of it was, you know, our projections have gotten better over the course of the season, I think of being closer to uh, the, the 
market, the Vegas uh, point spread at the time we published them, which in a way is a good thing. In a way, it, it reduces the margin for error. But, you know, this year, our absolute error uh, throughout the entire season is 13.05, which I went, I've mentioned a couple of times, uh, prediction tracker. It doesn't have every major model out there, but it has a lot of them, has 49 total models that, that you know, have projections against the spread in college football, uh, that absolute error would rank seventh of the 49 listed. We'd be oh, wow. just percentage points ahead of ESPN FPI, uh, which is a good model. It, it gets some grief every once in a while, but, you know, it's well respected by, by a lot of really smart folks. And I was doing a little more digging because I, I was just like, God, why are we just right here around 500 and, and man, we should be so much better. Uh, only two of the models ahead of us in, in that absolute error number uh, have a record above 500 against the spread. And in fact, of the 49 models that are listed right now on the prediction tracker, only 13 have a winning record. So it's it's a weird year, partly. I mean, we've talked about how many upsets there have been. Um, and this stuff is hard, you know? I mean, part of the reason I, I really enjoy doing it is because it's, it's a problem and you know, try to, to figure out a, a better way of doing it. And sometimes, you know, it, it certainly doesn't work out, but also, I mean, the, the experts out there, the odds makers are really, really good because if, if some really, really smart people are putting in a lot of time and, and effort and computing power and, and what have you into, you know, trying to project and, and predict football games and for 13 of the 49 to post, post a losing record, uh, you know, that, that just shows you how good uh, some of those, those uh, experts and, and pros out there making the lines really are. So it's, it's, uh, it's been a frustrating year, but, you know, on, on some levels, I think we're still, our process is still pretty good. Certainly we have a lot to learn and, and things that can improve and we'll definitely uh, be looking to make improvements where we can, but uh, anyway, probably probably too much. Uh, digging no, into no, the weeds I, on I that, like but. the I like to dive into the projection systems and all that stuff. That's uh, I mean, it, it's it's a smart way to look at stuff, and I mean, it's kind of you know like I've had some frustrating weeks. This was a frustrating week uh, for me in my article. I was five and five, which isn't horrible, but it's not good, you know. So uh, knowing that. Uh, most of these systems are uh, hovering around 500 makes me feel better. And, you know, it, it is a very strange year uh, so far in, in CFB. It's just, you know, the way it goes sometimes. And it's a weird year coming off of COVID. And guys, you know, this is our first look at like a full off season with the transfer portal working and all that stuff, too. So uh, it's just a little different than it has been. And who the hell would have thought that AM would have beat Bama like straight up, you know, beat the spread. Fine. But uh, straight up, after Zach Calzada looked like garbage his first uh, couple weeks, and then he turned into Johnny Manziel against Alabama. <laughs> so yeah. well, uh, I will, just... I will say, our I feel decent about our preseason projections. And Xavier was mentioning I, that we talked about Texas A&M maybe being the best uh, challenge to Alabama on the field. Well, we did cash our Alabama under eleven and a half uh, ticket, so that yeah. was that was nice. Uh, we've already cashed our. Uh, Bowling Green over one and a half ticket. Our Stupid North Carolina, <laughs> yeah, our North Carolina under nine and a half, which I, yeah. I 
uh, feel pretty good about because we were kind of out on a limb with North Carolina, uh, and they've been a really strange team this year. Yeah, uh, lost to Florida State this past weekend in, in a, an unexpected result, and most most importantly, we are halfway to our UMass over one and a half <laughs> because they were able to knock off UConn knock off. in the the biggest game of the week that we should have mentioned. At of the very course, yeah, start of a show. Don't know. Remember when Xavier's giving me crap for Rutgers versus UMass after uh, six months of having no sports? You know, uh, <laughs> I, I was excited about that game, and Nick's over here, you know, betting on UMass. So, uh, but let's get to some of these lines here, and let's just start where we start every week, and it is what line has you the most confused here, Nick? So. There are a couple that that stuck out to me for different reasons. One, uh, Miami of Ohio, when we did our projections, was a 19.5-point favorite against Akron. Akron coming off a big win uh, over Bowling Green, where they look pretty good. Um, I know that Akron is still among the very worst teams in college football by a lot of projection models, ours included. And Miami of Ohio, you know, this is a game that they should win. This actually opened up uh, from circa 22 and has come down a bit. So it seems like a lot of folks out there agree that that this was a little bit of a, a confusing line, maybe a little off. But Miami of Ohio is just the, the type of team to me that, and in the MAC in general, it's difficult to imagine anybody should be uh, a three-touchdown favorite in a MAC game. But Miami of Ohio also just – just as one of those teams that kind of, you know, they've got some some solid players, but they don't necessarily blow people out. And and they're a team capable of beating anybody in the MAC. But you know, it just it this seems like too too many. You know, twenty two or nineteen and a half points just seems like too many, even against a team like Akron, who maybe overachieved last week, but uh, still is is probably, I think, going to be able to hang with uh, Miami, you know, within two touchdowns, I, I think. Uh, another one that surprised me, Arizona State, who's looked really, really good in recent weeks, opened as a two-point favorite at Utah. Utah, of course, blew out USC last week, but that has now come down to when we, uh, you know, put our, our projections in stone yesterday. This was a pick em. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that even on the road, Arizona State's say a better team than Utah. And certainly, you know, Arizona State, we've seen them lose before when maybe they shouldn't have lost to BYU. Kind of a fluky game, but, but you know. That was didn't. a road game, though. And it was. The BYU yeah. crowd was insane. Yeah, and Utah has a, has a strong home field advantage. So um, that one just sort of, that surprised me a little bit. I thought for sure. Arizona State would be around a, a field goal uh, favorite. Our number is is uh, a little closer to a touchdown at right around five. But those two kind of jumped out to me as as being unexpected uh, when I when I saw them pop up. Xavier, you have any lines that you looked at and you're just like, what the hell is happening here? Yeah, absolutely. First one, when we're staying in the Pac-12, it's got to be the fact that um, UCLA versus Washington. Uh, Washington UCLA opens as a one point favorite. Uh, and now Washington is a two-point favorite uh, going into that game. I just don't know where they're getting their information from. Uh, you know, UCLA coming off the back of a pretty 
pretty good win over Arizona. Uh, left it kind of late, but we're able to kind of dominate in that second half. Uh, Washington, on the flip side of that, is coming off of a loss. I, I just don't see where, you know, you, you've watched both teams this year and you go, Washington. Yeah, I'm confident enough to make them almost a field goal favorite over a UCLA team that has beat LSU this year. That's 2-1 and one in the Pac-12. Still in that Pac-12 race, um, you know, with them being in third place right now, Washington's two and three. Uh, and even though they're not out of their out of the Pac-12, it's the Pac-12 North uh, race at this moment, they're not, you know, a team that I would necessarily say is a team I would pick right now as a favorite to make the Pac-12 championship out of that side of the, out of that side of the conference. Um, and, and it's funny, the other one, I kind of asked for this, but I think it's a little too much. Uh, you know, last week I, I very I remember being like, well, guys, when Georgia plays a team, we need to stop giving, you know, two touchdown favorites. And Georgia being almost a 24-point favorite this week or a 23-point favorite against Kentucky, I felt was a little too much for my blood. Uh, I felt like, you know, the the Vegas list. Georgia hasn't let anyone score more than 13 points. I understand. And, and, you know, but I would venture to say so far that Kentucky's probably the best offense Georgia's seen. I wouldn't say. They're one-dimensional, though. Not as much as you would think. 96 in passing. Uh, yeah, but sure. Country. Okay. But they're. But, but situation. We'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. we'll get into that game. Uh, okay. But I, I think this is probably the best team Georgia has played outside of Arkansas. And, and offensively, I think they have them. They, they have definitely more weapons than what Arkansas was bringing to the table. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. But I think throwing 23 points is a little bit too rich for my blood. Uh, I would have liked to see somewhere in the 18, 19 region. I think that would be perfect. Uh, you know, they went from them being 14 point favorites against an Auburn team, which we all knew were absolutely awful on offense. For them to now be a 24-point favorite or 23-point favorite against Kentucky, I felt like maybe Vegas is, you know, going a little haywire on this one. I mean, Kentucky's been disrespected and beat Florida. You know, I mean, they're they're good. They're undefeated. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to take away from them. I'm just – Georgia looks like – they're on a different level this year. Oh, is all. And I and I got one one favorite one of mine. Uh, Arkansas only being a three point favorite over Auburn, I think, is a little weird to me. Uh, I think if you saw last week's game, Arkansas can go win a shootout. Uh, you know, they uh, obviously they lost on a, a two point conversion, but they put up fifty one points. Yeah, uh, this is an Arkansas. Team. Yeah, you know, this is an t- Arkansas team that answered the question: Can they play in a shootout fashion? Yes. Uh, if the you know you know and, and Auburn has yet to show competency on offense all season you know and this game is in Arkansas as well uh so I think that has something to do with it as well I I you know I just think them being only a three-point favorite going into this game is 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 a little thin I I would like them as more of a touchdown favorite to be perfectly honest against Auburn uh all right so the next up here is uh what week seven games show the biggest edge in our model Nick and is that a good thing or a bad thing would you think this week I kind of rephrased our second question here because I was, I think I was confusing myself and all of us a little <laughs> bit and how we were, were uh, answering it. So decided to, to go with this one and kind of, you know, I, I mentioned that our projections are, are I think, pretty tight to the uh, to the odds makers in a, in a lot of cases. Um, this week, we're about three and a half points off, which is, you know, uh, we've we've had closer weeks, we've had weeks under three. But that's, that's about, you know, where where uh, I feel good um, with, with how things are looking at, at this time of the week. But there are certainly some that just pop off the screen as being, you know, way, way different. And is that a situation where, hey, we're picking up on something that maybe the market or the odds makers are not? 
or is there something that we're just flat out wrong about that that we need to kind of take note and what can we do to fix it moving forward there are three where we've got a double digit difference uh which is enough that makes me feel a little uncomfortable usually you know when i see that uh, i see double digits i i i do not think okay this is one you know you know this is our pick of the week we should hammer that's 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 not what's going through my mind it's more so like a whoa that's a that's a little bit of a red flag um and there are three that that jump out uh but i kind of like at least two of them you know i i i i have conflicting feelings a little bit uh one utep plus seven at louisiana tech we actually have utep as an outright favorite in this game it's one of our our wrong team favored which has been our best uh selection of of things that we track this year uh we do have a uh like a 56 percent uh record against the spread in those games and and actually straight up as well so if you're betting them on the money line you'd be doing uh pretty well there but um this is one of those games is it you know have we finally picked up that utep is much much better than we expected we've been low on utep forever basically the the history of of our model but they've improved a lot over the last couple of years and and we were too low on them in the preseason and so you know i kind of wonder are we finally catching up or maybe have we you know jumped completely into the now now for whatever reason we're overrating them a little bit so (laughs) uh we have utep favored in that game um utsa is a team that our model has been really really good with this year uh that makes me a little bit nervous that you know maybe maybe we're going to come back down a little bit but so far i mean last week we had utsa uh favored to beat wku they did uh we had them uh you know we we talked early on in the season that they could upset illinois they did so you know we we've had utsa pretty well pegged so far but they're already an 18 and a half point favorite over rice and we have them up at about a 30 point favorite so that you know rice is one of those teams that kind of similar i'm sure to to some of the things we'll say about kentucky has a way of of kind of sucking in a better team to playing a a slower uh type of game kind of shorten the game get things you know if they can get to the fourth quarter with their, you know, with a chance to tie or maybe even, uh, you know, find a way to take a lead in the fourth quarter. That's that's what they're trying to do. And I could certainly see a scenario where that happens. But I think UTSA is right now just they're just really, really good. And, and I think they've got better players, uh, much better players than Rice. So I'm a little worried about that. And then one that's uh, just really strange to me, North Carolina, seven point favorite against Miami. We have that at 17. Uh, one, North Carolina, we've mentioned we were lower on North Carolina than just about everybody uh, in the preseason. And so far, that's worked out for us. Uh, but, you know, we were also much higher on Miami than just about everybody. That has has kind of flipped where our numbers still respect North Carolina. Like, even though they've lost games that they shouldn't have, uh, we have them 22nd right now in our power ratings. They were 29th, I think, in our like our final preseason. So they're three and three, but they've actually moved up in our power ratings, which is which is a little odd, I'll admit. Uh, but 
you know, Miami, on the other hand, was a team that was right there around 22nd in our preseason numbers. Well, they're now 72nd. And part of that is Derek King is down. He's out. That That's one thing that our model uh, is able to capture that maybe some of the others out there can't. Uh, Miami's had a lot of other injuries as well. They've had injuries at running back, wide receiver, uh, every level of the defense, including several in the secondary the offensive line. I mean, Miami is is uh, in our preseason talk. We mentioned roster strength and how they were top ten in in both offensive and defensive roster strength, top five in overall roster strength. Well, right now they're twenty eighth overall, fifty second on offense. So losing Derrick King is huge, but they've also lost you know some other guys as well. So North Carolina has lost games, but Miami has lost games and some really significant players. So I, I think I like that one. Uh, North Carolina obviously is capable of not showing up like they did last week. Uh, but I just, man, you know, I, I think we are on the right side of that North Carolina one. I I don't know if UTEP is going to be able to beat Louisiana Tech, but seven points is, is uh, uh, you know, feels good. I think they can keep it close enough. Uh, the UTSA one, I, I'm not as confident in, but I think I like that North Carolina one. It's just a little bit uh, bizarre to see a game like that with such a big number difference in, in our projection and, and what the odds makers have. I mean, that is a large discrepancy for sure. So, uh, but with that, let's just dive right in here. And, you know, the formula is we each pick a couple games here, and you guys want to start with mine, and I want to start with this one because. It has an 82-point over Ole Miss at Tennessee, Nick. This one looks like it is going to be a high-flying, super fun game. Looks like Tennessee has really taken off under Josh Heupel. Starting to look like that UCF uh, offense that we, uh, you know, won them a national championship, I'm going to say. But uh, I just wanted to get Xavier's face on that. But, uh, Nick, what do you think about uh, Tennessee – against Ole Miss, uh, and Ole Miss is a three-point road favorite, so very interesting game here. Yeah, I was I was a bit surprised, first of all, when I uh, – because after, after all the games are over on Saturday and I'm updating the production points and, and things like that in our uh, FES team profiles, and, and it does update all of our projected point spreads for the rest of the year, uh, I, I write all those up for the following week, kind of give a, a look ahead uh, line. And, and, you know, it's it's uh, a bit surprising sometimes when you look. And I wasn't expecting Ole Miss to be, uh, you know, I, I thought for sure they'd be seven point favorite, maybe double digit favorite or something like that. And, and when I put it, uh, you know, had to had to write it down. They were only about a four point favorite. Uh, and that just that surprised me. I know that Ole Miss got blown out by Alabama. They they were somewhat fortunate to beat Arkansas, but in a great game, beat a good Arkansas team. Uh, but I was pretty sure Ole Miss was going to be a pretty big favorite against Tennessee because our our numbers, even though they they have uh, you know Tennessee has gotten better, has has risen in our power ratings. They're still you know, a, a, a team that's outside of the top 25 definitely spent a lot of the first half of the year in the 40s, 
but but slowly moving up. And Ole Miss has spent plenty of time in, in our top 10. I mean, they were up uh, at number seven, I believe, when they played Alabama. And so I, I expected a bigger number, but it was it was uh, low single digits in our very first update when I was able to go through and update all the team performance numbers, so all the advanced stats that I can get my hands on and, and throw those into a formula uh, to try to gauge, you know, kind of boil everything down to how well is a team playing on the field. And the number got even tighter. And it's not that Tennessee has been spectacular. I mean, they've, they've played really well the last couple of weeks since Hendon Hooker has took, you know, taken over as the uh, starting quarterback. Uh, they're running the ball really well right now, but you know, team performance-wise, overall they're 22nd, which has has gone up quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, but still is not you know not spectacular. Uh, offensive team performance, they rank 29th, 17th running the football, just 88th passing, which is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, so they haven't been super efficient in the passing game, but you know they're they're running it really well right now. And then defensively, uh, you know Tennessee was a, a pretty strong defensive team under Jeremy Pruitt at times. They certainly underachieved in some ways, but, uh, you know, to be 39th in defensive team performance isn't, you know, much if any better than we would have expected uh, prior, but it's, it's decent for a, uh, an offense that is, is, uh, you know, as fast paced as, as Tennessee is. And um, some of the, the defenses that we've seen, you know, Josh Heupel coach teams at, at UCF, you know, to be in the in the top forty is is pretty good, but Ole Miss is you know number two in offensive team performance. Uh, the the difficulty is you know their their defense, which we knew was a question mark, thought had you know made some significant strides the first three weeks of the season, uh, but the last couple, you know, they're they're starting to look like the Ole Miss defense that we remember from 2020. They rank 102nd in over, uh, defensive team performance overall, 106th against the run. So if that Tennessee offense is capable of running the football like they've shown the last couple of weeks and Ole Miss is incapable of stopping that run, then you know this is a game that Tennessee absolutely could be you know, in, in the fourth quarter, especially with it being a home game with the, the fan base uh, seemingly energized by an exciting offense. They're getting a former Tennessee head coach coming back to town. So that adds a little bit more, uh, maybe spice to the the matchup. It's a, a night kickoff. So that always adds a little bit of an element that can, you know, perhaps ramp up that home field advantage a bit. So I, I was surprised in a little concerned that we had Ole Miss only as a two-point favorite in this game. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 there, it makes some sense that this is a really tricky spot for Ole Miss. Uh, they could potentially be without Jerry Neely. He missed the game against Arkansas. Henry Parrish and Snoop Connor looked really good, you know, being a, a two-headed running back duo there. Matt Corral continues to play like a top two, top three Heisman uh, contender. But, you know, this this is a, a game that really could be uh, a very close one and another just back and forth score after score after score type game. I mean, a total in the 80s is, is uh, very, very rare 
our our projections can't get anywhere close. I was pleased that we actually broke through uh, and got to 70 with this one. That's something our our projections, something I definitely have to work on is, is we just haven't been able to to get uh, the tails of our uh, total projections, you know, fine tuned well enough. But uh, this this is an exciting game. And I think Ole Miss is the better team. I think if I were, you know, not looking at our numbers and just going off my gut feel, feels like a game Ole Miss should win by a touchdown. But there are a lot of points in Tennessee's favor uh, that that sort of the numbers are, are recognizing that maybe I'm a little slow on or, or uh, you know, what have you, that say that this could be a very, very close game. And, and our actual uh, final score prediction is – uh, 37-35, probably tack on you know 20 points or, or more to that. So 47-45 maybe uh, would would be right. But uh, yeah, I mean it, this this is definitely a game that I'll be excited to watch and, and really looking forward to. I mean, I was muted there because I don't want any of my background noise to interrupt while you're going. But I did laugh at the probably tack on 20 or 20, 30 more points to that. That was pretty solid, but. Uh, Xavier, you and I, over the years of this podcast, have given Tennessee very hard time, but they are looking much better, specifically with Hendon Hooker at quarterback. So uh, do they got a chance in this game? I'm guessing by your body language, they do not. Okay. Well, all right. you're right. You're right. Hendon Hooker has absolutely brought new life to that offense. Uh, Josh Heupel has that offense rolling on all cylinders at the moment. But let's not just let's not let recency bias, you know, make us think that all of a sudden Tennessee has turned this corner. They played Missouri and South Carolina in the last two weeks. Probably two of the three worst teams in the in, in the SEC right now, along with Vandy. That allows for a little bit of, you know, leniency when it comes to one year defense, which wasn't all that great against South Carolina. Let's, let's, we're gonna call it what it is. They had a really dominant first half. That second half for South Carolina, South Carolina dominated Tennessee. They just were able to, they just had already built up a 28 to nothing lead. So by that time, it was just too late, too little, too late for South Carolina. However, they moved the ball on them pretty much at will uh, outside of two turnovers in the first half, uh, which were a, a fumbled snap and a, and a, and a strip sack for uh, Luke Doty. They moved the ball as much as they really wanted to on that Tennessee defense, you know, and really this week I, I looked at the film of, ten, uh, of Tennessee when they played offenses that I feel are competent. So I went back and watched them watch play against Pitt and especially and specifically just watch their defense against Pitt and against Florida, especially against Florida, because when you look at how Tennessee defended uh, Emory Jones, they're probably going to have to defend Matt Corral in a similar way because Matt Corral is a willing runner. They can't, you know, they're going to have to devote a spy. They're going to have to devote more attention to the fact that he's going to want to run the football on top of the fact that Matt Corral is, and I think we all can agree on this, a better passer than Emory Jones as well. That adds a little element to it as well. I don't see where this Tennessee team defensively can stop Ole Miss. Uh, they're, they're not going to have another, you know, I think uh, Matt Corral is going to have another really good day, you know, and continue on this Heisman train. That I think he he's definitely in the conversation for at this moment, you know, um, Tennessee's offense on the other end. That's where I say, will Tennessee stay in this game? Maybe. Ole Miss's defense can be that bad at times. We, we've seen it this year. Ole Miss's defense can be a paperweight at times this year. It, it, it could get really bad for them. However, I just think, and I said this last week when they played Arkansas, 
I trust the elite part of Ole Miss over the good part of Tennessee. And right now, Tennessee's offense has been good, but we haven't seen them against a, uh, against a team as good as Ole Miss in two weeks. And for Ole Miss, we've seen their offense against Alabama and Arkansas over the last two weeks. And that offense, outside of some boneheaded calls from Lane Kiffin in the Alabama game, still was able to move the football in the Alabama, uh, against Alabama. So I trust Ole Miss's offense more so in this game. Yes, I understand the atmosphere that they're going to be playing in. I understand all of that. I get it, Nick. And fans have been a big part of college football this year. I genuinely believe that. Um, you know, I, I genuinely believe that Bryce Young last week, if he had played in an empty stadium in College Station, it would have been a much different game. That's just how I feel. Um, I don't think that that matters in this game. I think Matt Corral having more years under his belt, you know, this is year three for him. I think he understands what he's walking himself into. Lane Kiffin understands more than anybody, maybe anybody on that Ole Miss team. What's it like to be at Neyland? So, I think that they're going to be prepared for this game. I mean, Ole Miss right now, I mean, especially with the fact that Alabama lost this past weekend, I'm not saying the door is open for them to get to the SEC championship game, but now Alabama has a loss. So we know that they're not, you know, impervious to losing at this point. So, the, I mean, the opportunity is there, even though they would lose the head-to-head. They've got to continue to win out at this point, and they know that. And I think that they're going to come into this game and they're going to win. I have them winning by 10-14. I think Tennessee's able to keep it relatively watchable but i don't think at any point does tennessee have a leg up in this ball game i think Ole miss wins from wire to wire tennessee's able to just make it uh, a watchable game going into the fourth quarter now the other game that i picked here nick is you know one that xavier mentioned as you know the line possibly being confusing is arkansas only a three and a half point favorite at home against Auburn, who has not looked like your typical Auburn team here. The over is 53 and a half. How do you see that th- that one playing out? Yeah, this is uh, – uh, there are a lot of sneaky good games, right? Uh, there are not as many maybe high-profile top-10 matchups this week as, as uh, it seemed like there were – last week or the last few or as we'll get to you know later this month when the big 10 has got half the the ap top 10 playing each other uh week after week after week but uh you know this one is is one that maybe on a, a more high profile slate might get overlooked a little bit but two very solid teams and you know teams that obviously have not uh, you know, right now at least, or are, are not necessarily looking like SEC West title contenders. I mean, Arkansas already has a couple of losses in the conference after losing to Georgia and Ole Miss. Auburn lost to Georgia, so their their path is still very much uh, in front of them in the West. But uh, you know, still have have a really really difficult second half of the uh, season with Ole Miss, Texas A and M. Alabama all still to play after the bye week after this game against Arkansas, uh, but still two very very solid teams. I mean Auburn is thirty first in our uh, team strength power rankings. They've kind of bounced around a lot. They they were in the the high teens, low twenties, pretty much all preseason. They jumped up significantly after. Um, admittedly, a, a you know playing a very very weak first two opponents, but they dominated at such a high level that they jumped up you know into our top ten uh, before they played Penn State. They of course have since come down 
a bit. We're you know somewhat fortunate to beat LSU and and you know lost that game against Georgia. Um, weren't really in it for for most of it. So uh, they're playing at a top twenty five level. Team performance is is twenty fifth overall. That's after spending the first couple of weeks of the season at number one. Uh, they they've come down, but they're still still a solid team. The offense is. Uh, you know, struggled a bit. Bo Nix has been up and down, has certainly had some incredible moments in that LSU game, but at times has, has struggled as well, was benched briefly already early in the season, and TJ Finley got some snaps. Tank Bigsby, we thought, would be one of the elite running backs in college football, and, and it's kind of turned into a little bit of a three-headed uh, running back group with uh, the, the true freshman, Jacquez Hunter, who's been really impressive at times. And then uh, Sean Shiver, once he's gotten fully healthy back on the field the last couple of weeks, he's gotten more uh, snaps and, and touches. The you know receiving core we thought was a little bit of a, a question mark coming in. They did get a boost with Demetrius Robertson, uh, the transfer from Georgia. But, you know, offensive line-wise, they're they're good, not great. They rank 30th, uh, 29th, excuse me, in our offensive line performance ratings. They've had some injuries on defense. Owen Popo's missed some time. Uh, so, you know, this Auburn team is good, is solid, but, you know, certainly is, is uh, far from perfect, has plenty of questions. Arkansas, you know, somewhat similarly, they've played at a top 20 level. They're 20th in team performance. Overall, they're 33rd on offense, 27th on defense. And, you know, those numbers uh, were certainly impacted by last week's performance where they scored 50, gave up 50, uh, kind of shifted in, in different directions. This was an offense that, you know, certainly has promise, has playmakers. Traylon Burks, one of the best wide receivers in college football. We've talked plenty about their running back group being very deep. I've been uh, impressed by uh, you know some of the young guys in that group. Raheem Sanders had a big week last week. Uh, looks really you know just looks like a, a maybe a future star. But they're also two or three or four guys total who get touches and they run the quarterback quite a bit. KJ Jefferson had a big game last week. Has has really done some good things this year. The defense was uh, early in the season, kind of kind of the flip side of, of Auburn when they were blowing people out with really impressive, impressive on both sides of the ball, but, but the offense looked good the first couple of weeks. For Arkansas, the defense kind of carried them early in the year, and, and there was a lot of talk about you know Barry Odom being one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. I think he definitely is solid. He's, he's top 20, 16th in our defensive coordinator ratings. But last week they were, you know, they were exposed and, and maybe there was a little bit of a revenge game factor, uh, the way that they handled Matt Corral and Ole Miss in 2020, you know, that was something that they talked about on the broadcast. We've, we've you know, had talked about before how Ole Miss and Corral specifically kind of, you know, were very, very motivated by that game and looked at how they, uh, you know, how they played him, how they were dropping eight and, and all of that, and and how Ole Miss and, and Corral knew that, you know, they were going to see a lot of that moving forward. They were going to have a plan in place. And obviously, uh, you know, they, he was able to, to succeed and kind of take out some of his maybe frustration or, or what have you on that Arkansas defense uh, last week. But, you know, 
this still is a unit that I think has some some really good players. Has improved in a lot of ways. The defensive line I've talked about has improved a lot, uh, though they were exposed a bit last week. But these are two fairly evenly matched teams. Uh, roster strength-wise, talent-wise, Arkansas has a, a top 30 roster. Auburn is top 15, but I feel a little more confident in sort of the coaching side of things at Arkansas that I do at Auburn. Part of that is Auburn's still working through a first-year head coach. Arkansas has already gotten through that, now second-year head coach, and there's a lot of reason to respect Sam Pittman and, and his staff, what they've put together and the improvement that they've made. Having the home field advantage is, is certainly uh, you know, a big part of this, is, is key. So Arkansas, you know, does get a that two and a half point bump puts our projected point spread up to four and a half, which is, uh, you know, a, a, a win and a cover officially. But our other two models are, you know, do lean toward Auburn. Uh, we do have Auburn with a talent edge of nearly seven and a half points with a uh, projected scoring margin, our stats only model of five and a half points so you know both of those if you were to adjust for home field advantage still would be on the side of auburn so they're they're you know pretty close there but auburn would would win those outright uh still on on the other two models so projections are are a little over the place and you know nobody has a huge edge in in any particular area It, it doesn't seem to me so I think this will be a one-score game. I think it'll be a, a close game. Uh, but our model does, you know, our, our official projection does give Arkansas uh, the win, a slight cover. Our final uh, prediction is 30 to 25. That might be, you know, that is an over uh, in our in our uh, projected totals. I feel like maybe uh, I, would, I would come down a little bit. I, I think maybe... 24 or, you know, 24, 20, 27, 21, something like that uh, probably is, is uh, uh, you know, what I would guess might might be a little closer to, to what actually happens, but uh, should be, again, another close and, and, and good game. And I'm, I'm uh, you know, somewhat pleased that this will be a little higher on, on our priority list uh, than it would be in a week where maybe uh, two, I, you know, not top 10 teams, not top 20 teams are are facing off because I think it'll be a, a good game. And I think, you know, the winner of this game can can certainly, uh, especially if it's Auburn, keep themselves alive for uh, some bigger things to play for later in the year. Xavier, I mean, I don't see this game being particularly that close. Seemed like you didn't earlier either. What do you think of this one? Yeah, I, I think this will be an Arkansas drubbing. I think they will go ahead and handle business against uh, Auburn. My biggest concern with Auburn is the fact that what Auburn wants to do coming in week in and week out is run the football, right? They want to they want to control the line of scrimmage. They have not been able to do that since Alabama State. Let's just let's just call it what it is. You know that offensive line has struggled every week since uh, that Alabama State game. It started with Georgia State and it continued on. And my biggest issue is. How much more Houdiniacs does Bo Nix have in the tank? Because that's what he's going to have to do again for them to win this ball game. Like he did at LSU, he's going to have to run circles around the defense, pull you know as you know uh, Scott called it last week his best Johnny Manziel impression. How many more Johnny Manziel impressions does he have in him? 
you know, I, I don't see this going well for them uh, from an offensive standpoint. As Arkansas, we know, can stop the run. You know, they, they you know, A&M, who they, you know, just beat Alabama, they were able to hold Isaiah Spiller pretty pretty handedly. They were able to force Calzada in that game in particular to, you know, throw, to, to drop back and throw the football. That's what they're going to do against Bo Nix. They're going to pack the box. They're going to say, throw, throw the football and beat us. You know, and the only thing they're going to have to do is make sure that when plays break down, they stay attached to their receivers. If they can do that, Arkansas is going to win this game big. You know, KJ Jefferson finally looked, looked healthy last week. He looked closer to 100% than he's been in a while. Uh, the offense was, you know, like we said, it was clicking on all cylinders. Yes, it was against a battle miss defense, but Auburn's, the, Auburn's defense isn't anything to be happy about. That's not anything to celebrate. So I, I think, you know, and with this game being in Arkansas, all things point to Arkansas winning this game handedly. And, and finally, we can stop the discussion about Auburn possibly being a team to compete and they'll finally lose their ranking. And, you know, everything will just be right with the world. You know, <laughs> you know, Auburn's been clinging on to that, you know, 18 to 25 ranking for enough weeks at this point. It's time for them to, you know, finally just get out of the national conversation, you know, get out of the teams. You know, when you look at the ESPN top 25 and they're in that that 26 to 32 list at the bottom, when you really, you know, when you're really a college football fan and you scroll all the way to the bottom, they'll be out of that. And we can finally just talk about the teams that actually are going to compete in the SEC as Auburn has been just kind of clinging to, to, to dear for dear life at this point. Arkansas is going to handle business. I fully expect them to do so, especially after coming off of the loss to Ole Miss. They probably feel like they should have won that ball game. And I think, as Scott said earlier, they absolutely could have, you know, if things, you know, obviously they get the two-point conversion, but if a couple of things go differently, you know, they give up a 60-yard pass with a minute to go, just to, you know, just to name a few. So, you know, and from here, Arkansas has got a, got a schedule that is, you know, leads up to uh, uh, the Alabama matchup November 20th, where if they can win here and build some momentum, they have an opportunity to at least, you know, maybe control their future, depending on what happens with uh, Ole Miss down the stretch as well. So I like Arkansas in this game and I like them big. Uh, but uh, uh, real quick, I don't think you're, uh, you don't have to be a real college football fan to scroll <laughs> to the bottom. You just have to have a team that's on that bubble and you know, they're <laughs> not going to be ranked. You know, and you know they probably shouldn't be ranked, and they're gonna. But some teams are gonna give them. Some people are gonna give them votes. So don't know who I could possibly be talking about in this room, but you know, uh, that's my opinion. Uh, we go to Knicks games here, and the first one is Pitt at Virginia Tech. Uh, Pitt is a five-point favorite. Fifty-seven and a half is the over. Uh, what do you think of this ACC matchup, Nick? Pitt is a. A, a really, really interesting team for a lot of reasons. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, you know, beat up on a couple of weak opponents. They blew out UMass. They blew out New Hampshire uh, early in the season. They look good against Tennessee, had a 92% postgame win expectancy against Tennessee. Uh, that was before, you know, Tennessee made its, its improvements, but as we were talking about just a little bit ago, you know, maybe this was a better Tennessee team than we thought at the time. But then I, I remember uh, maybe one of the most memorable uh, discussions we had from our, our preseason uh, conference uh, preview shows was that comment uh, that a, an anonymous coach made in, in one of the preseason magazines about how, you know, Pitt is a team that just loses uh, you know, well, I don't even remember specifically, but but uh, wins a couple of games it shouldn't, and then loses you know three or four that it it should win, and 
that happened with the loss to Western Michigan. And, uh, you know, uh, that aside, this Pitt team has been very, very good. I mean, Kenny Pickett, I know, is is getting NFL draft buzz right now. I'm, I was, you know, surprised by that. I remember seeing a list of uh, Heisman odds in the, the midsummer, and he was – much much higher on the list than than I thought he should, and I, I expected that it was uh, a, a typo. But you know, right now he's playing himself into the the Heisman conversation if Pitt is able to uh, go out and and win you know double digit games, which our projections surprisingly enough have Pitt favored in every one of their games moving forward. We have them uh, number twenty overall in our power ratings second best in the ACC, uh, have to go on the road at Virginia Tech this week, of course, which is a tricky place to play and an opponent that is capable, you know, talent-wise, very similar uh, and is certainly capable of winning this game. But we have them favored at home against Clemson, which I certainly would have, wouldn't have expected, uh, you know, in the preseason. We have them favored at home against North Carolina. The, the schedule has some tough opponents on it. Uh, the second half of the schedule is is much much more difficult than the first half, but it sets up really well from a you know who who's coming to play you at home and and that sort of thing. So I noticed a couple of weeks ago, FPI uh, ESPN's Football Power Index had Pitt with the highest uh, percentage you know projected to win the ACC. I think twice as much as the next closest team, which is kind of a, a shocking thing when, when I first saw it. But you know what? Looking at the schedule, looking at where uh, some of these these home games are and that every big team on the schedule has to go to pit to play, it's, uh, yeah, it could happen. They've got to get through this game against Virginia Tech, of course. Uh, but, man, you know, this pit team with Kenny Pickett, with uh, Jordan Addison at, at wide receiver, Tysir Mack has done some good things. Lucas Kroll has been a solid tight end. Uh, they have the number one passing team performance rating in college football right now, which is not what we were expecting, or certainly not what I was expecting. Offensively, overall, they're 16th. They, they still do struggle to run the football. Uh, kind, kind of, you know, that that's a, that's been a little bit of a disappointment because they do have uh, some exciting running backs available, but just haven't quite been able to get it going. The offensive line is you know 64th in our performance ratings, but that passing offense has has really been impressive so far. We'll see if they're able to carry it over against what probably should be uh, you know the most talented defense that they've played. So far, Virginia Tech ranks 35th in defensive roster strength. They've struggled a bit uh, defensively, but you know, ranked 44th in defensive team performance. They will be without their top linebacker, Dex Hollyfield, for the first half. He uh, was uh, ejected for targeting in the second half against Notre Dame, a game that Virginia Tech, you know, in a lot of ways, could have, maybe should have won. Uh, but the you know, the secondary is a strength for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, Jermaine Waller has been great this year. They brought back a lot of guys from uh, a, a decent unit last season. 
Actually, I take that back. They, did, they didn't perform very well statistically last season, but we normally think of Virginia Tech as having, uh, you know, good players and, and playing solid defense, and, and they have taken a step forward this year. They were 85th in defensive team performance last year, up to 44th this year. But, you know, Virginia Tech picked up a big home win against North Carolina to start the season. Maybe not as impressive today as it was at the time, but, you know, that that's a uh, – talk about home field advantage – Typically, Lane Stadium uh, provides a, a pretty big one. And then Pitt is a team that it's just very, very difficult to trust to continue to play at this level. So it is a it is a very, very uh, tricky game. But I think Pitt is just the better team. I mean, they've defensively for years and years been uh, among the, the best uh, in you know defensive line play. They rank 13th in our defensive line performance ratings after being number one last season. Uh, they've been a top 25 defense the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, uh, as far as personnel goes, they're solid at, at all three levels. The secondary is a little bit weaker than, than uh, you know, the front seven, but they've been great against the run, ranked ninth in defensive team performance, rushing 25th overall defensive team performance. And just as a team, uh, they rank 11th in team performance. So pretty weak schedule, but they're uh, coming off a bye week. They've had an extra week to prepare. Virginia Tech is coming off of a a bit of a heartbreaking loss to Notre Dame. They're also a little bit banged up at the quarterback position. Braxton Burmeister left uh, the game last week, was able to return, but uh, I'm not sure if he's, you know, at 100% fully. Uh, they did lose, you know, one of their top backups, a guy who, who was able to get some playing time in uh, Connor Blumrick, kind of a short yardage uh, quarterback, but he is going to be out for an extended period of time. They already lost James Mitchell, top tight end for the year. So Virginia Tech's not necessarily at full strength, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's still, they're a difficult opponent in a difficult environment against a team like Pitt that, you know, lost to Western Michigan. Uh, but they're, they're still a top 20 playing like a top, you know, 15 type team, but is certainly capable of, of laying an egg. So this is a difficult game to project. And it opened as a pick It immediately moved in the favor of Pitt. And our numbers are, are actually pretty high on Pitt. Uh, we have this as being over a touchdown, actually, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I, I thought we'd we'd be closer to a field goal, uh, something uh, around those lines. But uh, we do have uh, Pitt getting the win, covering, winning 32-24 in our uh, official prediction. But this does very much, especially with, you know, ACC title hopes, on the line with a manageable schedule, but with a lot of tough opponents in the second half of the schedule, this is a trap game type spot. And I don't think Pitt will you know, be overlooking it by any stretch. They've had that extra week to prepare. Uh, and I'm sure all eyes are, are on Virginia tech, but this is a, this is a really, really uh, it's, it's a tricky spot, I think for them. So I would not be at all shocked if Virginia tech, wins this game, whether they just sort of raise their level of play uh, higher than than what we've seen. They kind of bounce back from that disappointment from Notre Dame uh, last week. 
but it also, you know, wouldn't surprise me if if uh, Pitt laid down and, and just didn't play well. So I could see a couple of scenarios where this goes very wrong for Pitt, but at least on paper right now, they're the better team and are capable of, of going into Lane Stadium and, and picking up a big win. So we have them winning and covering, uh, but, you know, I'm not super confident in it. could see this game going a, a variety of ways. Xavier, how do you see it going? Because I know you – you might be the biggest Kenny Pickett fan I know, and I know Nick. So uh, I think yeah. that's pretty surprising. And, and Kenny Pickett's having an amazing year. Um, I mean, so far this year, he's thrown for 1,700 yards, 19 touchdowns, and only one INT. You know, he, he's doing a lot. Kenny Pickett is is Pittsburgh as, as of right now. And I think going into this matchup against Virginia Tech, my biggest question going into this game is whether or not Virginia Tech can run with Pitt because Pittsburgh has – you know, yes, they're four and one, and yes, they have that. Obviously, I lost to Western Michigan. They've still scored, I think, forty points in every single game that they played this year. You know, and, and that's not necessarily typical of what we've seen from Pittsburgh in the past, and not typically a team that you know has scored you know a, a bountiful amount of points. Typically, we think of Pitt as a team that grinds it out and, and leans on its defense a little bit more. This 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 offense is is as you know as of right now is when we look at the numbers perspective is as high powered as it gets in the ACC, you know, and yes, to Nick's credit, they have played a softer schedule within Virginia tech up until this point, but you got to think offensively, they've built up at least confidence going into this game that they can do this against anybody. You know, anytime you score 40 points a game for your first five games of the season, that says a lot about, you know, the kind of trust one they have in their quarterback, he, the trust that he has in the receivers around him because they're not running the ball for a lot. You know, they're, they're leading rusher right now, I think, is Kenny Pickett. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, oh, excuse me, it's uh, – I'm not going to try that name. I'm just going to say Israel, uh, who's run for 207 yards. Izzy. Seven yards. Yeah, Izzy, you know, Abedekanda. Uh, oh, Nick, that was great. Hey, have you worked kind on of a that? hot that name was... in, a lot of, in a lot of circles, but uh... – but yeah, I mean, they, they you know, been a little disappointing from a number yeah. standpoint, mm-hmm. but good player. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, sorry. I, you know, sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're fine. You're absolutely right. I'm glad you took the name because I wasn't going to do it. Uh, you know, for him to run, you know, has only rushed for 207 yards at this point this year. You know, uh, you know, the running game has been a little disappointing, but the passing game is, is clicking on all cylinders. And for me, can Virginia Tech muster up enough points? You know, that was the issue that I thought they would have last week against Notre Dame. You know, and it proved me wrong for three quarters, but they kind of went stagnant uh, once uh, Burmeister uh, went, went down. And I think, you know, defensively, you can only hold on so long. You know, and that defense, as good as it has been this year, you know, as good as they looked against North Carolina in week one, and even as good as they did last week, you know, with, uh, you know, a pick six being one of the touchdowns in which they had last week, that defense just is not going to hold up long enough for me, in, in my opinion, to win this game and to keep their offense in it. You know, and I think that Pitt, you know, to everything Nick said, it is a more balanced team than Virginia Tech. I trust Pitt's offense. You know, Pitt's offense was the thing I didn't trust coming into the year. I trusted their defense. And now their offense has shown me over the last four weeks, over the last five weeks, excuse me, that they can go. You know, they can run. And, and so I like Pitt going into this game. I, I don't think it'll be a blowout because of the things that Nick said, because it's at Virginia Tech, because Virginia Tech is a better team when they play at home in front of that raucous crowd and one of the best atmospheres in college football, because that defense is going to be coming off, even though they lost last week, should have confidence in the fact that they were, you know, that close to knocking off the number 14 in the 14 team in the country and, and really had Jack Cohen seeing ghosts in the secondary, uh, especially in that first half. So I think, this is going to be a really good game. 
you know, either one of these teams at this point, you know, Pitt and Nick can tell me if I'm wrong. Pitt's got to be one of the favorites to win the ACC at this point. Um, you know, and, and so sure. I think, you know, whoever comes out of this game is definitely going to come out with some praise as a team that could possibly compete for the ACC, uh, the ACC title with both teams being, you know, respectively having an opportunity still. Uh, each one of the, excuse me, both teams still having an opportunity to do so. I like Pitt, and it's not just because of my fandom for Kenny Pickett. I promise. Well, I had to make sure, you know, because I know you are a big uh, Kenny Pickett fan. But the other Absolutely. Nick game is TCU at Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a 13 and a half point favorite. 65 is the over under. We know that Lincoln Riley is refusing to name a starter. But if it's not Caleb Williams, they might run him out of town immediately. And TCU is extremely banged up going into this game. So uh, go ahead, Zavi. Can, can I say something? Can, can I say what has happened this week? It has transpired as to why, like, he's keeping hush-hush on everything. So I don't know. Oh, there's Nick's a lot probably, going on as yeah. we speak. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I don't know if yeah, Nick, you know, yeah, uh, apparently an OU student-led newspaper used binoculars to figure out who was taking first-team reps. Um which has led to, you know, him shutting down practice to all media at this point. Uh, I just think it's funny, personally, you know, the, the lengths that this new, that the student news led newspaper went to first off kudos to them to figure out who was starting this week. Uh, but this isn't the second time he's done this, you know, uh, this led to a report that I was reading about last year. Apparently he, he had all of the windows uh, of the dormitories that overlooked their practice facility or overlooked their practice field, uh, you know, fogged out or like you know blurred out so that they couldn't see through those windows so it's gonna have the stadium uh declared as a no drone fly zone yeah you know know, he's trying to keep everything this close to vest really really close to the vest i I mean i I don't know why it needs to be a secret it's definitely going to be caleb williams but uh what do you think of this uh this game here nick because like we said tcu looking pretty banged up and it looks like maybe oklahoma has found it on offense with caleb williams yeah, this this in addition to just the the just sort of weirdness around this game, all the storylines, the Caleb Williams stuff. Which Caleb Williams was incredibly impressive. Gave Oklahoma a spark, led them to that big comeback win. Seemed like the team really responded, uh, and just as a great player anyway. I mean, you know, one of the elite recruits coming out of high school uh, this past year. And, you know, it it makes sense for him to be the starter. Um, Spencer Rattler, it sounded like, wasn't at practice on Monday, took the day off. Like Riley said, he he gave him the day off. Uh, The the, uh, sort of the the, uh, investigative reporting from the, the student newspaper to show that uh, Williams was getting the reps, you know, it, it's I, I was just kind of scrolling through uh, Twitter, seeing what exactly was being said about all of this. And, and a lot of it, I kind of agree with on the, the line of, hey, you know, what's weird about a student looking at another group of students throw a football around and just happen to to see who uh, who was was doing it first or more often. But, you know, it's it's just sort of a weird thing about football it seems a little uh too i don't know well what's the word uh, paranoid on, on leak and riley's part i mean what's what's the big deal uh yeah everybody kind of sees caleb williams being we the star who's gonna start yeah sure i mean and that everyone in the country mean, knows who's gonna start 
And, and that doesn't mean that Spencer Rattler doesn't come in and do the same thing that Williams did the previous week. You know, they if, had if him do it struggle. on a two point conversion. Uh, right. After they're, he got benched. So. Absolutely. And, and they're, you know, certain things that, that to me was really interesting and probably shouldn't spend too much time, I guess, talking about a two point conversion, but you know, there, there was a reason Rattler went in and he had, because he practiced, the guy it, who practiced it exactly. Yeah. So Caleb Williams didn't practice it or they weren't comfortable for whatever reason with him doing it. So that to me says, okay, well maybe there's some parts of this offense that they're just not maybe ready to, to hand over to Caleb Williams quite yet. That I think it might be more of, they just, they only have the starter practice that. Well, it could be. And I, I, I'm certainly uh, capable or, or guilty of overthinking things from, from time to time. No. But I think even if Caleb Williams starts this game, we see Spencer Rattler in this game and moving forward, unless for whatever reason he you know leaves the team, decides to transfer, something like that, which is sounds like maybe possible. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that, one, Williams really helped – one, they had to respect him as a runner, right? He, you know, Texas, uh, the game changed when Williams came in and was able to run. Part of that was the 66 yard touchdown. Uh, part of that is just Rattler doesn't really take off. He, he, you know, will elude pass rushers a bit, is capable of, of, you know, running, had a, had a touchdown run, but, uh, isn't, isn't somebody who is, is either willing or just, it's not as big a part of his game as, you know, Jalen Hurts prior to him or, or uh, other Oklahoma quarterbacks. In fact, Kyler Murray, you know, Kyler Murray, of course, one of the best running quarterbacks that, that we've seen in a long time. Spencer Rattler, really, really different in sort of the way he operates. And Caleb Williams gives a little more of that element, another sort of weapon that you have to account for or deal with that can help open up uh, more, you know, opportunities for Marvin Mims, who's been one of the more disappointing receivers based on his preseason expectations coming into that game, had a huge game. And, and, you know, Williams was a big part of that as a passer, but also because, you know, Texas had to, to respect his running ability. And so that created a little more space for Mims and, and other guys to uh, make plays. So it's, it's uh, one overblown, the situation who's going to start probably doesn't, doesn't really matter um but two this is you know i i I went on that long uh thing earlier in the the show about our projections and and you know against the spread and numbers and this and that and timing is a big part of these things and this game particularly is a a timing issue game And, and it sort of bit us last week uh i don't know if it will this week or not but when i was doing all the write up yesterday um our projection for oklahoma was to win by uh like 13.8 i think it was and at that at that time i had rattler uh and williams kind of listed as as co-starters um at the time or or actually and and the talent edge was oklahoma by 13 and a half and and the the uh, projected scoring margin is is uh, like 10.8. So actually, when I was writing it up, and, and the first uh, when I first made note of the point spread, it was Oklahoma by 10 and a half. So this was actually 
looking like us having Oklahoma favored to to win and cover in an all three agree situation, Oklahoma minus 10 and a half. Well, by the time I was done, uh, one, our, our number had come down a little bit because I did decide, okay, we're going to give Caleb Williams the full-time starter uh, role. And just the way we calculate things, even if Williams last week looked like the better quarterback, Rattler, based on his experience, his career production to date, is a higher-rated player. He's a 94-rated player. Williams, great, great true freshman, but hasn't played very much, and he's an 85, uh, close to an 86-rated player. Still very good, but but you know, eight points lower than Rattler. Um, so that brought our, our number down just a touch, but by that time, the number had moved, uh, the, the point spread officially had moved to 13 and a half, which was a pretty big move, one, and, and a little bit of a surprise that, you know, things swung so much in Oklahoma's favor. Part of that might have been that Gary Patterson in a press conference or, or media availability said that his quarterback, Max Duggan, is questionable, his top receiver, Quentin Johnson, who's been out a couple of, of games or, you know, missed time in one game and was out last week is questionable. And his top running back, Zach Evans, uh, is questionable. Right now, you know, the way we treat things in our depth charts, if a guy is questionable and if they played the last game, I don't, you know, I, I don't try to uh, split their uh, rating with the, the backup or, or anything like that. I would expect Duggan to play. I would expect Evans to play. I think Johnston, based on everything I've heard the last couple of weeks, is getting closer and probably able to play. So we do have TCU at, at pretty close to, to full strength, even though there are a couple of questions on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, they've had some guys miss time. Bud Clark is going to be out uh, a safety. Um, they've had some injuries on the defensive line so far, getting a little bit healthier uh, after – missing some significant players earlier in the year, but, but still not at full strength, maybe on, on that side of the football, but timing is, is a lot of it because when it was 13 and a half, uh, when it was time to, to, you know, officially release these and, and put our projections in stone. Now we only have Oklahoma favored by 12 and a half. So now we're on the other side of it. Now we're on TCU plus 13 and a half. So is that going to be a situation where it bites us, you know, as far as win loss record, I'm not sure, uh, but it, it kind of throws me off a little bit because there's just so much going on in this game. And sort of the way that I look at our numbers, how I, I you know project things, because I mentioned the thing about Spencer Rattler is a higher rated player than Caleb Williams. Well, does it make sense that if Caleb Williams proved to be the better option that Oklahoma's team rating should go down because he's a lower rated player. Should he be, you know, if he's better than Rattler, does that mean he's a 95 or does it mean that Rattler is an 84, not a 90? You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like it means that, Rattler's I, an 84. Well, you know, but it, <laughs> early in the year uh, when he was a 92, because he's had, he's added a couple of production points, had a couple of good games this season and he was, expected to be, you know, maybe number one overall draft pick, top quarterback. I mean, there was a lot of that talk early in the year, right? And, and in the preseason, uh, I thought we were underrating Spencer Rattler. I was like, you know, is he, does he need to be a 98, 99, 100? Um, so anyway, that, that's, again, 
thinking too much about things. <laughs> uh, but that's what kind of goes through my mind a little bit because quarterback specifically is very, very important, right? And it's the biggest part of our formula. It's the biggest part of, of all of this. And it's the big storyline in this game. And another factor, if if Max Duggan is actually uh, not able to, to play in this game, that changes things a lot as well because Duggan is a 91 rated player. His top backup is Chandler Morris, who is a 76. So that would be a pretty significant drop. And that in itself would put us back on Oklahoma. Uh, that would be, you know, 13.6 uh, would be our, our or excuse me, 14.6 uh, would be our projection there. So if Duggan's not able to play, that swings our projection two points in, in the other direction. Um, so it's, it's, this is a difficult one. We're either going to get, uh, you know, lucky that we had the right uh, scenario picked out where Duggan plays and, and Williams plays. And uh, anyway, so this, this one could go any way as far as the number goes. Uh, Oklahoma has been much, you know, pretty disappointing. I know Xavier uh, wanted to, to give me some grief early in that game about how the de- defense was played and they were, they were very disappointing. And the Oklahoma as a team has not, played up to the level at least I expected uh, of them being, uh, you know, the very much the team to beat in in the big 12 and kind of head and shoulders above most other uh, teams in the conference and a true playoff contender. They fall into number 10 in our power ratings, but they've still won every game on their schedule. And even though that defense has been really disappointing, they're still 57th in defensive team performance, which, Oh, by the way, TCU has been even much more disappointing uh, for a team that's usually pretty good defensively. They're 104th in defensive team performance, 102nd against the run. And Oklahoma, that run game kind of got going with Kennedy Brooks a little bit. Certainly, you know, we we mentioned Williams being able to run uh, kind of adds a little bit of an element to that as well. So I don't know. I, I've done a lot of talking here and not very much actual kind of analysis on where I see this game because it's bounced around a bit in our numbers. I don't necessarily, you know, know what to to think of it. I think Oklahoma is the better team, but I've been higher on Oklahoma maybe than I should have been. I don't know if this off-field stuff, you know, it's hard to say. Does Williams make Oklahoma a better team because the team responds to him or does all this outside noise of, you know, who's the starting quarterback and our you know, our, our top guy lost his job. Does that have a negative impact? There's just so much going on in this game. It's really, really difficult to kind of boil it down to a projection or a prediction as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but the way the numbers shake out, at least for us, two of our models, the talent model, the stats model, like Oklahoma, the one that incorporates more of the personnel, that one now leans toward TCU to cover. But I could see this, you know, uh, Oklahoma's been, they've looked beatable. They haven't lost, but they've looked very beatable. And TCU is very flawed, but they're a team that's capable of beating probably anybody on a given week. Uh, And this is a year where that happens a lot, it seems. So I could see TCU, you know, outright winning this. I could see Oklahoma, like I've said, week after week after week, finally putting it all together. Maybe they get, you know, a boost from that comeback win against Texas. Maybe now they finally 
turn the corner and become an elite team and win this game by 30. I could see that too. I'm all over the place. I don't have a great read on it, but you know, because of the way the number shook out when it was time to, to hit publish uh, on Tuesday night, we're on TCU to cover and it's a, a slightly uh, lower scoring game maybe than expected, but we've got a 37-24. Oklahoma getting the win, TCU getting a, a very, uh, very close cover. Xavier, I mean, I don't want to be flipping about this game, uh, but I think compared to Nick, I might be flipping about this game, right? I, I think that this is Oklahoma uh, stomping TCU. TCU is not at 100% health. You have a quarterback that is running the offense seemingly way better, although Texas defense was tired and they prepped for Spencer Rattler. They obviously didn't prep for Caleb Williams. So, uh, you know, there could be something to TCU uh, being able to play in this game with a week of prep against Caleb Williams. But I don't know. I see this as Oklahoma rolling. What do you think about this one? So that game against Texas last week reminded me of, of, a, of a sad time in my life as well, Scott. Uh, everybody remembers uh, SEC Championship game 2019, 2018, to Tonga Valoa, the, the pocket-passing quarterback, picks up an injury. Who comes in? The more adept runner in Jalen Hurts, who nobody prepared for. What does he do? Scores 21 unanswered. They win the SEC championship game and go on to a national championship. But guess who played the very next week? Guess who played in the playoff game? Tua. Why? Because at the end of the day, one quarterback is better. The other quarterback just was unprepared for. I genuinely think that TCU has a chance in this game if Caleb Williams starts because of the fact that I don't think that Caleb Williams does the good, does what Spencer Rattler does great. And what I mean by that is that means intermediate passing. That means keeping the ball out of harm's way. Yeah, Caleb Williams had some amazing throws last week. Also, if the secondary played a tad bit better, all of those should have been interceptions. Let's just call it what it is. I'm just I'm just going to call it call it a spade a spade. Half of those throws were just prayers, especially the ones to, to Mims in, in, in the front of the end zone. Absolute prayer. So when we say that, and he had nothing to lose at that point. It's a lot different when you come into a game down by three scores plus and you have nothing to lose, you know, and you're a backup. You're able to play a little bit more free. Now the pressure's on him. If he's the starter coming into this week, the pressure is on him to win this game, right? The pressure is on him to keep that momentum that he had last week rolling. And that's a really high high to keep up from Texas to now TCU and to not have a lull against a team that, as Scott says, everybody thinks you're going to roll now because now uh, Oklahoma's found their guy, right? Because outside of really what Nick was saying, a lot of people feel like Spencer Rattler hasn't had a great year. You know, it's been reflected in a lot of mock drafts. He's fallen from the first guy taken to pretty much the third guy taken on a lot of NFL mock drafts this year. So now people feel like Caleb Williams is the guy. Well, you got a TCU team coming in that has, once again, they have nothing to lose in this game. TCU is expected to get drubbed. They're on the road. You know, like you said, Nick and Scott, they're coming in, you know, seemingly unhealthy. And guess what? It wouldn't surprise me if TCU covered. And I think I'm going to pick them to cover this game. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think Oklahoma's issues have been solved all because all of a sudden because they changed their quarterback. It might prove me wrong. I don't think it has, though. That defense is still really, really poor, especially against the run game. And what does TCU do really, really well? Whether it's Evans or Miller, they run the football well, period. They run for over 100 yards, and I believe every game except for one this year. They're a team that can still run the football, regardless of whether Max Duggan can, you know, is going to be able to sit back there and throw it around. 
you know, like we saw Casey Thompson being able to do, they can run the football and they're going to give Texas or Oklahoma trouble up front, in my opinion. You know, and this is one of those games that we look back on and we go, you know, we didn't expect TCU to even be close. And all of a sudden, fourth quarter, it's, you know, it's 24 to 10, 24, 13. And we're like, why is this game so close? And we go back and watch it and we're like, oh, okay. Well, TCU was able to keep themselves in the game because one, they, you know, they were able to hold time of possession because they were able to put some drives together, you know, because Caleb Williams struggled maybe, you know, with the way that TCU played him versus the way that Texas tried to figure it out and come together on some adjustments midway through a game, which is hellaciously hard to do when you have an athletic quarterback. You know, that's just, that's just really, really difficult to say, all right, this is how we're going to play him now because you can't box him in. So, I think that TCU has a better chance of what people think coming into this week. I pick, I'm pick, i picking them to cover uh, in this game. I think for Oklahoma to dominate this matchup, I'm still waiting for them to put a complete game together, but it's going to have to start on a defensive end. You know, if they're going to cover this game, it's going to be because that defense shut down the running game, made Max Duggan throw, and then that's going to allow a guy like Caleb Williams in his first start, which we all expect him to start, to figure the game out as he goes. You know, like I said, this is his first start in college football. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow him to figure out the game as it goes. It's going to allow him to make in-game adjustments. And, hey, you're absolutely right. We may see Rattler after halftime, depending on the scoreline. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Coaches have been blowing smoke all year. Remember, Kirby Smart calls Carson Beck the starting quarterback and then plays Stetson Bennett. So, like, we, we've seen situations like this where a coach has a plan, has has two plans going into a game. And he just has to use one or the other, depending on how it goes. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw both QBs. I don't think Spencer Rattler's out per se. I will say, Nick, to your point about their starting quarterback coming out or being gone, I'm going to be honest with you. Spencer Rattler is not the greatest human, according to all reports. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the locker room definitely liked Caleb Williams over Spencer Rattler from everything I've been reading from Oklahoma, uh, coming out of Oklahoma when Spencer Rattler got there and since he's been there. You know, it's, 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 it's pretty Spencer Rattler and Spencer Rattler, you know. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did if they did respond better to Caleb Williams being the guy, as he may have the locker room more so than uh, Spencer Rattler does. With all that being said, I think TCU covers. I think their run game doesn't stop here against Oklahoma. I wouldn't be surprised if they ran for 200-plus yards. I just genuinely wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. B. John Robinson was having – he has his own highlight tape against Oklahoma. You don't have to watch the rest of the season. He has a personal highlight tape against that defense. So – I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Zach Evans was able to get his draft stock up after this week either. Um, either, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, TCU covers, and I don't. I'm not ready to just say Oklahoma has found itself just yet. Much to the chagrin of Nick. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what Nick just said. I said, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. What I, what I mean by that is, is I'm going to keep hammering into into Nick's head that Oklahoma is not as good as he thought they were coming into the year. I'm going to hammer that, that in. I said they're not. I, 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 I know you know what though? I, dude, I'm, I'm not. I'm not willing to, or I'm not uh, hesitant to to change my opinion if what I see doesn't doesn't line up. We all make mistakes. I mean, it's, it's, it, yeah, right? no, no, it's just so, me. So, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, you know, I, I did the same it, thing with you with Kentucky it. last year. I'm just gonna continue. Right, and I was right about Kentucky last year. <laughs> right about Kentucky this year. I miss a ton of stuff, definitely. But, but uh, yeah. Anyway, anyway, we don't, we don't need to to do this. <laughs> let's, but uh, let's yeah. go to the next game. And <laughs> the next game is Oklahoma State at Texas. And Xavier picked this, I believe, just to torture me. Uh, Texas is a five and a half point favorite. The over is sixty. And Nick, I really think it just depends on what Texas shows up. Are we going to get depressed? We just lost Texas. Or are we going to get pissed off? We just lost Texas. So I think it really depends on that. 
But Oklahoma State has had a tough schedule and is looking good so far this year. So uh, this should be a fun one. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I think, one we we had to talk about. And uh, Oklahoma State is a team that, you know, I've, I've mentioned uh, there, were, there were a few teams in the preseason that we were kind of out on a limb on, North Carolina being one of them. Oklahoma State was one as well. They spent a lot of time uh, well inside our, our top 20 uh, at, at certain times in our, you know, top 15 of, of our power ratings. And it seemed really strange to me. I didn't feel good about it. And we've certainly missed on plenty. I mean, Washington was one. I'm glad Xavier brought that up as a, a kind of a, a surprising line because Washington certainly has, has played, uh, you know, very disappointing compared to what our numbers were in the preseason. We thought they were, you know, going to be favored in every regular season game. And, and they've ended up uh, playing really poorly. Well, Oklahoma State has at least won every game on its schedule, and though they're actually, you know, have fallen just a little bit in our uh, power ratings compared to where they were at certain points, it's just it's it's primarily because they haven't been overly impressive. They've been kind of just getting by, and I guess somewhat similarly to, to Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma's still undefeated, right? They've won every game. They just haven't been as impressive, or or you know. Uh, haven't dominated in any stretch uh oklahoma state's kind of that way it's just we didn't necessarily have the expectations that oklahoma state would be at all dominant but they've been able to win some close games they've been able to win uh games where it looked like maybe they shouldn't according to collegefootballdata.com they had just a 24 percent post-game win expectancy against tulsa uh, the number against Boise State is much higher, 79%. But I think watching that game and some of the ways that Oklahoma State benefited, uh, you know, on special teams and, and things like that, I would have expected that number to be, um, you know, 50% or, or lower maybe uh, in that game against Boise State. So, you know, they've, they've been fortunate at times. They've won close games. Uh, they've played really solid defense. They rank 12th in defensive team performance, uh, top 30 against both the pass and the run. So they are able to defend, um, you know, both, you know, obviously, you know, can defend uh, an offense, make them play uh, maybe, you know, in a style that they don't necessarily want to. If, if you're a strong team throwing the football, Oklahoma State can, you know, kind of take that away a little bit and vice versa. So they were able to shut down Baylor, who's looked great against everybody else. Maybe a little bit inflated, maybe not quite as good as what the early numbers suggest, but, you know, they were playing at a, a, a very, very high level until they had to go up against Oklahoma State, who pretty much shut them down in a lot of ways. So this is a tough uh, matchup for Texas, who is, you mentioned, coming off of a heartbreaking loss. How is a team going to respond to that that's something our numbers cannot uh you know account for there's no no rhyme or reason sometimes to whether or not a loss like that uh serves as kind of a rallying moment for a program or if that's you know the thing that turns what could have been a, a decent season into one that kind of spirals out of control i i think and maybe it's wishful thinking because our numbers clearly think Texas is the better team. They are certainly the more talented team. Oklahoma State talent profile is not super impressive. They're 37th in roster strength, 58th in offensive roster strength. 
they have not been healthy on the offensive side of the ball. Jalen Warren's looked good at running back, but he wasn't expected to be the top ball carrier. Uh, LD Brown and Desmond Jackson have both missed a lot of time this year at receiver. Um, you know, they've had Tay Martin. Brennan Presley had some moments uh, last year, but they're playing a lot of true freshmen who haven't been overly uh, productive or, or super impressive just yet. They've been out, uh, excuse me, without Braden Johnson uh, after, you know, the, the first week of the season when he was injured. So Oklahoma State has right now been able to, to shut opposing offenses down. And the, the list of opponents, even though they've played some good teams, aren't necessarily, you know, from a talent standpoint, quite what Texas is on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Baylor, not quite there. They've played really well, but they don't have, you know, a Bijan Robinson. They don't have uh, a Casey Thompson who's playing as well as he is right now. Xavier Worthy has been incredible, was incredible last week against Oklahoma. Uh, Kansas State, you know, doesn't have that talent profile. Boise State doesn't have that talent profile. So it's it's going to be interesting to me to see can they continue to kind of dictate what an offense looks like against Texas, who has been very impressive on that side of the ball. They're in eighth in offensive team performance overall, ninth in rushing team performance. Last week, the defense obviously really let them down. Overall, this season, they rank 84th in defensive team performance, 95th against the run, which is a little bit of an issue with, you know, Oklahoma State can run the football. Warren has looked good. Spencer Sanders at times has been a productive runner uh, at the the quarterback position. So, you know, you wonder, is this going to be a little more of a shootout like we saw Texas play last week? Uh, it's not the type of, of game that Oklahoma State has been involved in so far this season. But, um, you know, it's it certainly I think Oklahoma State has the ability to, to ramp up his offensive play a little bit, especially against a defense that's, you know, struggled at, at times this year, has had some injuries. They lost, a, uh, you know, one of their top edge rushers, Jacoby Jones, is not going to be able to play in this game. They've had some injuries in the secondary as well, Texas has. Texas is going to be without – Jordan Whittington, who looked like uh, he was finally, you know, healthy and, and able to uh, play at a really high level, uh, suffered a, a collarbone injury, and it's going to be out for a while. So, you know, can Worthy continue to play at such a high level as a true freshman moving forward? Can Joshua Moore, uh, you know, be that that uh, go-to receiver or, or you know, uh, one of those those top options, uh, or are the you know Oklahoma is Oklahoma State going to be able to limit that passing game and, and make Texas try to run the football to beat it? And is that going to somehow uh limit Bijan Robinson's effectiveness? I don't think so. I and mean, Bijan Robinson looks like one of the very best players in college football, and they've done a good job, I think, of getting him the ball in a variety of ways, just sort of you know, toward the second half last season, or excuse me, second half uh last week got a little lost in the shuffle. I think they'll probably uh, make it a point to not let that happen this week. But, uh, you know, this is this is a game that Texas is, I think, the better team. They are still 12th in our overall power ratings, even though they didn't get it done uh, last week. I, I, I was impressed with Texas. I was definitely impressed with them early. I thought the defense, though, they certainly struggled in the second half 
was flying around, making plays, really like the energy I saw. Are they going to be able to, to recapture that after kind of getting their hearts broken last week? Uh, I, of course, am impressed with Robinson, impressed with Worthy. You know, next year, man, if all these guys are back, which there's, you know, Robinson still uh, isn't eligible for the draft. Worthy, of course, has got uh, two more years after this one before he would be eligible. Casey Thompson, I'm I'm expecting will will probably be back. Man, this Texas offense looks like one of the elite units in college football, maybe uh, going into to next year. Are they going to be able to perform like that this week against a tough Oklahoma State defense? I, I think they can. I think Oklahoma State has been somewhat fortunate uh, and hasn't been tested quite at the level they'll get tested this week. Again, that might be, you know, wishful thinking, but we have Texas favored by over a touchdown officially. And the other two models, uh, it, it's even worse. I mean, the stats only model likes Texas by eight and the talent edge is huge. I mean, two touchdowns, which in conference play and two teams that are ranked in the top 30 in our power ratings, that's a, a big, big difference. We don't normally see two touchdown talent edges in those type of situations, but Texas on paper is the better team. It's just, you know, Texas is off and on, on paper the better team. It's just whether or not uh, they can get it done, especially after last week and especially after Oklahoma State's had an extra week to prepare. So our numbers are very much on Texas. It's an all-three-favored situation. Uh, our final score prediction is 35-27. Um, but, again, you know, this is a game that can go a variety of, of, of different ways. It would not, it would not surprise me if Oklahoma State has another close win in it, uh, especially if Texas, you know, takes a step back uh, emotionally from last last week. But uh, I do think this is a, a game that they should win and cover. Should be able to bounce back. Xavier, I mean, uh, to everything that that Nick just said, I mean, Texas. This is where I'm going to be uh, impressed with Sark if he can get these guys oh, right yeah. back on track. Because they love to, college teams in general love to, uh, you know, lay down a game like this after coming off Absolutely. a disappointed, uh, disappointing loss. So, uh, obviously, they don't love to, but it does happen way more often in uh, college than it does in the pros. So, how do you see this one playing out? And did you pick it just to torture me? No, I didn't pick it just to torture you. Actually, you know, I, I think with this game being at Texas is also very important. I think that if they were, if they had to go to Oklahoma State, um, have to go play in another hostile environment, not having the this the the noise from your own fan base when you're doing when you're doing well is a plus, you know, or would have been a minus, excuse me. And I think that being in front of their crowd, who understands that these kids, just like you said, Scott, you're a part of the fan base. You guys understand that off off of this loss, you cannot allow it to you know start a slippery slope downward. And what better way to get back on the horse than to beat a team ranked in the top 12 and with an opportunity. And the Big 12 race isn't over. It's not done yet by any means, you know. So you still have a lot to play for down the stretch. You're only six games in. Only half of the season has been played at this point. And your fan base understands that. And with that being the case, I feel like, you know, coming into a game like this, having your fan base behind you with everything that you're going to be doing, it's still good. it is a positive versus having to go into a hostile environment after having a game all let down like you did against Oklahoma, you know, and, and possibly having to go against, you know, into a, an environment that's not going to be positive for you whatsoever. On the flip side of that, this has got to be Oklahoma State's first test 
and it's my it's their first test for me in my opinion because they, yes they played a Baylor team and yes they played Kansas State but both those games were at home they got both of those games at home they were able to you know kind of figure out how to you know navigate those games as they were you know they didn't play exceptionally well in really either uh in the Baylor game that they just had you know they they played okay they weren't great you know they left it to the fourth quarter to allow to, to really you know create space and you can do that when you're at home you know Spencer Sanders had a really rough game in that one through through three interceptions kept Baylor in it throughout the entire ball game now they got to go on the road now they got to go to Texas who's going to be trying to get back you know it's a get back game for them you know they, they lost that game to Oklahoma and now they're going to be feeling like well you know the best way to do it let's stump Oklahoma State so I like Texas in this game excuse me well I like Texas in this game. I like them a lot, actually, um, to bounce back. I, I think that Sark's going to, you know, I wouldn't be surprised the first game, first play of the game, just to get the fans back in it, for real. Did a trick play, first play. You know, they not only get the fans back in it, but that gets the kids back in it. You know, that, okay, cool, we're back, we're good. The loss last week is over. Flip the script, you know, close that book, and let's move on to the next one. And I think Texas can do that this week, you know. And, and even more importantly, what I like about this game is it's a ranked versus ranked matchup. There's no reason for you to play down. You know, this is a team that's undefeated. There's a team that's 12, you know, ranked 12th. It, it, this is, there's no reason. This isn't against Texas Tech. You know, this isn't a reason for you to come in, you know, dragging your feet, head down. You got to get right back on it because of the fact that you're playing a team that very well could win the Big 12 as they're currently rolling, right? So I think Texas wins this game. I agree with Nick. However, from a talent basis, this is where I think this is where Texas puts it all together, personally. You know, Texas has had, hasn't had a really had a game that which they put it all together against a formidable opponent this year. And I think that they really, that this is the game in which they do. So, you know, I think that they put it all together for all fourth quarters. I'm excited to see B. John Robinson. Yes. Oklahoma state had a week to prepare, but Spencer Sanders showed against even a decent defense in Baylor that he struggled. You know, those picks were bad. And, and I think Texas's athleticism and their talent show shine through in this game. I think Oklahoma state, and I said this in the week that they played Baylor, I think Oklahoma state had been, you know, winning by the skin of their teeth too many times and at some point that luck has to run out you know unless you're that Tulsa team from like two years ago that kept winning by the skin of their teeth I don't think that that luck is going to continue on uh throughout this week I think Texas wins this game at home gets back on the horse and we get a really really fun stretch in the Big 12 where you know everybody has to play everybody now you're not playing the the Kansas States the Texas Techs you know anymore now you got to play one another now you have to play Iowa State Baylor Oklahoma State Texas, Oklahoma. And so we get a really fun like next like four weeks where we get to see who's really good in the Big 12 and who's just been living off the fact that they've been playing cupcakes up until this point. All right. Last game up here, Nick. And this is one I kind of talked about before and, and you guys kind of, uh, I don't know, rolled your eyes at me is the right uh, expression here. But you did, um, I don't know, scoff at me or what I said. I look, Georgia is number one. They're at home against uh kentucky and the line in this game is an enormous 23 points for a one versus 11 matchup uh 23 points in georgia's favor of course at 44 and a half is the over so big spread with a low over as well but like i said georgia has a number one scoring defense they've not let anyone score over um 13 points against them so far this season they're number one against the rush which is what kentucky does uh so this game to me seems like it it's another lopsided Georgia victory, but Kentucky has played well above their heads this year. So uh, how do you see this one playing? Yeah, it, at first glance, uh, it feels like even though Georgia has, I think they're 
uh, five and one against the spread. I, I think they the the late kind of garbage time touchdown against South Carolina. South Carolina was able to to cover, um, but they've they've covered every other game. And even though um, uh, you know the the first four weeks with saying oh you know Clemson's offense is so bad, uh, there were some arguments that hey you know this Georgia defense hasn't really been tested right because because if Clemson isn't very good on offense then we know UAB South Carolina and Vanderbilt uh maybe the, maybe we can't quite believe the numbers well Arkansas you know goes out and, and looks like the first real test Georgia shuts them out looks great and that same Arkansas team even though against a, a you know obviously weaker defense scores 50 plus points uh the the very next week Auburn kind of uh you know hit and miss look great on offense early in the year uh probably not you know necessarily nobody really thought would be able to to compete at that elite level uh but still a a very very talented team Georgia for the most part really shuts them down and and was able to cover on the road in a, a pretty tough environment last week so I think by now, yeah, the, the Georgia defense, everybody kind of realizes is absolutely legit, is elite. And there are some uh, numbers to point that they're on a pace to be one of the very best defenses, at least of this era. Um, statistically, just, just completely dominant. They are incredibly talented, even though they lost a lot of players from last year's uh, solid defense are playing at such a, a great level. You know, roster strength, they're number two defensively in our numbers. Team performance-wise, defense overall, number one against the pass, number one, and then rushing number two, uh, looking at some of the, the more advanced numbers that they get, you know, put into that. Yards per play, which is, uh, for us, weighted. We use Brian Fermo's calculation, uh, where it's against FBS opponents only. And non-garbage time, they're number one, 3.13 yards per play. Points per drive in that same vein, 0.3 points per drive allow, uh, allowed in non-garbage situations, best in the country. They're number one in success rate defensively, number one in expected points added per play defensively, uh, and then yards per pass against FBS opponents, they're number two. So, I mean, they've been every category at or near the top, just elite, elite uh, across the board, and and by now, you know they've they've overcome some tests. They they have been tested, uh, not against Ole Miss certainly, but uh, against some quality teams, talented teams who have shown an ability to score against other opponents. Georgia has has uh, continued to dominate. The question is, you know, can Kentucky uh, is Kentucky the best offense they've played? You know. I, on paper, I, I'd say Arkansas maybe has more weapons, but Kentucky certainly had its moments. They ranked 24th in offensive team performance, 13th in rushing team performance. I really, really like Christopher Rodriguez Jr. I think he's one of the best running backs in college football. Uh, has had a little bit of a fumbling issue early on, uh, but is, you know, I think capable of uh, putting up you know, having some success, maybe not his normal level of success, but having some success against Georgia running the football. And that offensive line is a big reason why. They actually rank number four in our offensive uh, line performance ratings this year. And it's a unit that ranks 
uh, among the most talented in the country, a, a top 20 unit playing like a top five unit. So, you know, it's it's going to be a test on the line of scrimmage for Georgia, arguably, because I think Kentucky's offensive line is better than Arkansas's offensive line. Uh, maybe that the toughest test that, that Georgia has faced, even if Arkansas has a few more um, playmakers. But you mentioned early on that you thought Kentucky was uh, one-dimensional. I, I hesitated a little on that. I know they haven't been as good uh, as they were against you know ULM in, in the first week when they were attacking down the field and putting up big numbers. It's come down quite a bit, but they're still a top 40 passing uh, offense as far as our team for performance numbers go. Will Levis hasn't had huge numbers, but he's solidified that position. Wandell Robinson is performing at a high level, has continued to play at a high level, and is somebody who will, you know, challenge uh, Georgia defensive backs and, and is somebody who can break loose, make a big play. It's just, you know, that that uh, depth at that position isn't very good for Kentucky, and they are probably uh, going to be without Josh Ali again, who uh, was their leading receiver last year. Uh, and is a good complement to Robinson. They will be a little bit shorthanded there, but can you know Demarcus Harris or Isaiah Epps or maybe uh, a younger guy, a little lower on the depth chart, step up and, and become um, maybe an option for Levis, so that George is not able to uh, you know concentrate solely on on taking Wandell Robinson out in the in the passing game. It, it's going to be interesting to see. But I do my first thought again was that. You know, 24 when it opened, 22 and a half when we did uh, officially is it just seems like too many points. And I know Georgia has been great. They've they've covered far more often, far more often than not. Uh, but, you know, 23 is, is what it was officially. They man, you know, Kentucky is one of those teams, one playing at a really high level. Uh, they rank sixth in net yards per play. 15th in net points per drive, 11th in net yards per pass attempt, 11th in net success rate. Uh, and offensively, they're top 25 in all of those numbers. Uh, defensively, they are 12th in yards per play allowed, 12th in yards per pass attempt, 21st in points per drive. Success rate, not as good. But you know, part of Kentucky's success at times is they do a good job. Their coaching staff does a, a really good job of uh, game planning for particular opponents. And sometimes if they feel like they're outmatched from a roster standpoint, uh, which Georgia has one of the elite rosters in college football, if JT Daniels were listed as the you know number one starter and only guy at quarterback because he's you know was such a higher rated recruit than Stetson Bennett, Georgia would be number one in roster strength. They're number four right now because we actually have JT Daniels not uh, penciled in to play this week. Everything I've read seems like he's going to be out again. Um, if he were to come back, it would it would change things a little bit, uh, but we would still have uh, Kentucky, you know, expected to to cover uh, in in this one. So, you know, Kentucky can slow things down if they're able to put some drives together. If that offensive line is able to push. Uh, that Georgia defensive front at least a little bit more than other teams have been able to this year. They're able to get a few first downs, put a drive together here and there. I think this is a game Kentucky can keep close, you know, one score game at halftime. 
two-score game in the fourth quarter, that sort of thing. Uh, and if, if they're able to have, you know, maybe a little bit of a surprising amount of success or hit a big play, unsuc- you know, maybe it's a trick play, maybe uh, Wondell Robinson breaks free and, and gets a, a long touchdown pass, maybe a special teams, uh, you know, play a block kick, something like that. These weird things that unexpected, hard to account for in our models, but can happen. You know, if Kentucky can pick up one of those or take advantage of a turnover or something like that, this is a game I, I could see as a one-score game in the fourth quarter, and maybe Kentucky actually has a chance to pull off a big, big upset. Georgia is the better team, the more talented team. They've played elite defense so far this season. I do have questions offensively. I'm not sure if Stetson Bennett is a quarterback that can lead Georgia to a national championship. I'm not a huge, huge believer in JT Daniels necessarily, but I think it's pretty clear that he's a much more talented player. That wide receiver core continues to be uh, you know, banged up. Jermaine Burton didn't play last week. They've had three or four guys that they've they've been missing without. You know, Lad McConkey had a big game. Brock Bowers has been a, a great true freshman tight end, but are those going to be the guys that you can you know win as a, a national championship with as your top options in the receiving game i'm not so sure you know i, I think that uh it, it kind of limits georgia's upside a little bit some of the injury issues they've had on the offensive side of the ball they have maybe the best running back core in the country have a top 10 defense or excuse me top 10 offensive line though they are banged up a little bit jamari sailor uh, went out with an injury last week, has been limited in practice. That's a little bit of a concern. He's a 100-rated player, according to our numbers. If he can't play, there's a drop-off there at, at, at you know whatever position. He's played multiple positions. We haven't listed at left tackle, but um, you know that's the number one offensive line in the country in our talent numbers. Uh, and if he's not a part of it, it's still a really good unit, but it slips a, a bit. Uh, so there are... And a lot of people have, have you know, pointed this out. I know Bill Connolly wrote a, a thing about teams' flaws. I, I saw uh, one of the, the shows on the Big Ten Network. They talked about it. You know, one of the, the fun things about this season so far is that the teams at the top of the rankings are not just these completely dominant, without a flaw teams, kind of like Alabama was last year. That's not the case. Al- uh, Georgia is the number one team in our power rings, has been for a few weeks. And has played like the number one team in college football, but there are some there are some weak spots. There are some things to be concerned about. I think so. I could I could totally see uh, Georgia having trouble with Kentucky if the offense uh, you know struggles at the quarterback position or can't make you know plays in the passing game. If the offensive line, if they're you know not going to be without their best player there, if the defense is maybe not historically great but just really really good and Kentucky can can do a couple of things to move the football better than other other teams so I can see a lot of of reasons to expect Kentucky to be in this game our numbers love Georgia I've loved them all season we've talked so much about how I'm invested in them in national championship futures they're number one in our power ratings but man 23 points that's a lot of points and it it seems to me that Kentucky is a very, very solid team that can at least hang around for most of the game. Yeah, I think Georgia should win. We have them favored by 20. Uh, but, you know, 20 is less than 23. 
obviously. And the talent edge is big, more than two touchdowns, but it's not 23. We have 16 uh, and a half points there. Our stats only model, two touchdowns. Again, that's not 23. So we're all three agreeing on Kentucky. We've mentioned that's been horrible for us so far this year. Hopefully it'll bounce back a little bit. Uh, but right now, all all indication is that Kentucky is uh, maybe positioned to be, outside of Clemson, the, uh, the, the best chance for a team to hang with Georgia so far this season. So we've, we've got Georgia winning, you know, fairly comfortably, I think maybe a late touchdown. Uh, they, they, you know, put it out of reach. Um, our projected final score is 34, 14. I could see maybe, you know, 27, 17, something like that. Just kind of how it, it plays out. If Kentucky is able to slow things down, kind of muddy it up a little bit, keep it close. Um, but I, I, I feel better about this one than a lot of the other ones we've discussed so far. I think it's pretty clear Georgia should win. I just think Kentucky's going to be able to hang around enough to, to cover what's a, a big number. All right, Xavier, uh, I, we know that you are obviously a Georgia homer, but you also have liked <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah, so, no. No, no, no. This, uh, is, this, this, is, this is a hard game for you to pick. Yeah, because Kentucky's like the team in the SEC East. I root when they play everybody else. Because I can't stand Tennessee and I can't stand Florida. So, like, I go for Kentucky almost exclusively in those situations. Um, I like Georgia in this game for obvious reasons, you know, that, that Nick went went through. The reason why I picked this game is because I feel like Kentucky, for me, is probably, the, like I said, and I said this when we were talking earlier, I feel like they're closer to the a complete offense that Georgia may have to see. And I think that this is probably the best coached offense that we've seen so far. You know, yes, I think Sam Pittman is a, is a really good coach, but I think he's a little younger as far as his decision-making is concerned. You know, um, Auburn, I don't think offensively is really anything whatsoever. I think Mark Stoops is going to give Georgia the most headache that it's had this year as far as the schemes in which he's going to run, the, the the screen passes which they've used this year with Wondell Robinson on the outside. Hell, we saw uh, South Carolina have some success down the field against Georgia, you know, and, and you know, we, we, we think Wondell Robinson is probably one of the best receivers in the SEC, definitely one of the best athletes in college football. So they're going to use him and move him all over the field. You know, Chris Rodriguez and that two-headed monster that they have in the backfield at, at, at Kentucky, they're going to use them in a, in a variety of ways. I just when I look at Kentucky's offense, I go, you know what? Offensively, they know who they are and they know it and they're going to try to do it. And, and they, unlike an Arkansas, which I felt like Arkansas was kind of, you know, very, very much one dimensional. I feel like Kentucky has those wrinkles in their offense that can give Georgia headaches. You know, I, I know for a fact that, that the screen game in which uh, Kentucky runs you know, they're going to be drilling that into Nolan Smith and company all week that we can't just run forward. We can't just, you know, attack downhill because they're going to throw screens in behind us. They're going to force us to, you know, maybe slow down on the rush a little bit. You know, Georgia's been able to rush four and drop eight or excuse me, and drop seven all year. Maybe those those defensive ends don't get home as much because they're worried about whether or not they're running, you know, a bubble screen in behind them or, or a tunnel screen in, on, in behind them. So I think from that standpoint, it's a, it's going to be more of a mind game for Georgia than they probably have had all year. And it's a test I think is going to be really fun to watch because Georgia, and you've heard this a lot from their players week in and week out, this is like a revenge year for them, right? So every every team that they've played this year has had a, you know, a, a vengeful nature to it. So Arkansas, Arkansas had them down week one last year. And so people felt like maybe Arkansas was a good enough team to beat them. Auburn, Auburn, you know, they, they, they we just don't like Auburn, period. You know, you think, you know, so, but going into this Kentucky game, this is a game that, 
you don't really have any of that bulletin board material to necessarily put forth. You know, maybe if the you know for the guys that were there two years ago, when you know Lynn Bowden and company came into Georgia and gave us a test when it was a, a torrential downpour. You know, maybe those guys. But this is the first game that Georgia doesn't have that bulletin board material outside of Kentucky being a ranked team coming into Georgia. You know, so I, I want to see how they play in this week. Nick, to your credit, or to what you said, the Stetson Bennett and, and that experience and that experiment, excuse me, is, is one that, you know, ebbs and flows. You know, as good as Stetson Bennett has looked this year, there's been some throws and some decision makings that you're just like, what are you doing? You know, and, and you know, funny enough, I think a lot of Georgia fans have maybe gotten, has started drinking the Stetson Bennett Kool-Aid a little bit too much. They like the fact that he can run. They like the fact that he can move a little bit more. However, he's not nearly as good of a passer as JT Daniels is. I don't think we'll see JT into the Florida game, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that's what they're resting him up for uh, at this point. I think JT could play if, if we had just, you know, a dire need for him to do so. But I think they're going to be saving him for the, for the matchup at this point. Uh, you know, I think so in that, in that regard, I think Stetson as good as he is, how does he handle, you know, being the hunted again? You know, the last time he's, you know, was in this kind of situation where he was the guy, you know, he, he gave us like three good weeks before seeing Alabama, you know, and I'm not calling Kentucky Alabama by any means, but how long is he going to be able to keep this up is, is really what as a Georgia fan, and the pessimistic side of me goes, how long is Stetson going to be able to keep this up before he has a game where he comes in and first drive, he throws a pick. And we're now, you know, we're now we're like, mm, okay, you're looking a little shaky back there. You know, and, and so I think that, yes, Georgia wins this game. I don't think that they cover. I think this might be the first game that Georgia doesn't cover. And that doesn't even mean that they'll give up more than 13 points to Scott's credit. They could very well win this game 30 to 13, you know, and that wouldn't be the cover. You know, and I think that, that you know, that's absolutely possible, you know, um, Kentucky has another great pass rusher, pass rusher, and Josh Pascal. They're gonna have to, you know, if if Jamari Sawyer's not playing, he they, he's gonna be somebody. They're gonna move all over that offensive line. There's gonna be a lot of guys that have to deal with him uh, in, in this game as well. So there's no the, there's no guarantee that he doesn't get to the quarterback and at least give us some you know some headaches. And like I said to begin it off, I just think this is, this is the best coach team that we're gonna be playing so far this year. No disrespect to Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, but we've seen how you played the rest of the year. I think Mark Stoops has Kentucky rolling right now, and he's a guy that's very scary to play against when he has his teams rolling because you really never know what he kind of wrinkles and, and different kind of options he's going to give his team coming into this week. I wouldn't be surprised if we see several trick plays from Kentucky on Saturday for them to win because, he, like Nick said, he understands what he has on the field and he understands what he has to do to maximize that their talent level. I mean, this is a guy who was able to coach a, court, a, a receiver at quarterback to a 9-3 and three record. We understand what Mark Stoops can do at Kentucky, and I think that that in in, in itself is going to be a challenge for Georgia coming into this week. By the way, uh, and, and Kentucky's been the last couple of years a, a topic of conversation for us because our model's been, you know, last year really didn't like them. This year coming in, I, I mentioned that we were going to be very much pro-Kentucky because they had a, a strength of schedule among the weakest in uh, Power 5 college football. Uh Right now, after this game, we said they're a 20-point underdog against Georgia. They are favored by at least six points in every other game this year. How about 11-1 and Kentucky? I mean, we have them right now projected to win 10.1, so maybe they slip up against Mississippi State or Tennessee. But, you know, Vanderbilt, New Mexico State, Louisville at, at, toward the end, 11-1 and Kentucky or, or 10-2. and is uh I, I we were pretty high on him, but I didn't see that coming, I don't think. Yeah, that is that is surprising. And look, I think that they could easily uh win out after this game. I just think that Georgia 
Georgia is on a different level than maybe everybody else right now. Uh, you know, because uh, Bama just lost to AM, you know, and I was thinking it was, well, it's just Georgia and Bama. It might just be Georgia, but we will see before it's crossed. Yeah. <laughs> before we wrap it up here, uh, why don't you tell us about the uh, wrong team favored and all three agrees, Nick? So wrong team favorite has, has still been good coming down a little bit to earth for us uh, this past year, but we've, we've had some good uh, upsets outright in recent weeks as well. Eastern Michigan three weeks in a row has been on this list. We're on Eastern Michigan plus one and a half this week. Um, and uh, you know, we've won one, we've lost one. So this is, I guess the, the rubber match here for, for Eastern Michigan, UCLA, as, uh, as uh, Xavier said, um, we have favored over Washington and in that one felt that that was a, a wrong team favored UTEP. We already mentioned, and we actually, this was a little bit of a surprise to me, uh, have air force outright uh, favored to, to beat Boise state this week. So a little bit of a surprise there, but air force plus five, uh, we are one and oh this week on all three agree. Cause we had Louisiana plus five uh, on Tuesday night, uh, Memphis minus 10 and a half. I don't feel great about that because Navy has, kind of, you know, tighten things up a little bit and 10 points is kind of a lot. We saw last week, you know, SMU, similar situation. We had uh, 13 and a half favored in all three uh, over Navy. Think that they, you know, certainly could keep that to a one score or at least single digit game. Texas minus five and a half, we mentioned. Texas A&M minus nine, also don't feel great. Think there's a maybe a little bit of a hangover effect that could happen with Missouri. Plus uh, Texas A&M is, you know, thin and and not great on the offensive line playing a lot of young players i think in some ways they were really fortunate to beat alabama there were some rare i think missed opportunities from uh, a coaching perspective uh, alabama you know kicking some field goals settling in, in some situations uh texas a&m is also really banged up really thin in the secondary so you know maybe missouri is able to to uh capitalize on that but uh texas a&m not necessarily a team so far at least this year that has proven um you know able to to really take care of business and win a game by double digits you know when they're supposed to um so i i don't have a lot of confidence in that but our numbers are still really really high on texas a&m northwestern plus two eh. duke plus 11 yeah akron plus 19 and a half i feel better about that but akron is still bad depend you know regardless of what happened last week. Troy minus seven and a half. Don't feel great about it. Kentucky plus 23, I like. Alabama minus 17, I like. I think this might be the first time in our history we've been on Alabama as an all three agree as a favorite. Uh, so I, I think they really will have an opportunity to bounce back. I like that one a lot. Uh, Tennessee plus two. I'm a little nervous about that, but we, we gave our explanation there. Iowa State minus six and a half. Kind of a weird one. Kansas State is certainly uh, able, similar to Kentucky, some other uh, teams that we've mentioned, able to play above their uh, talent profile. Oklahoma State, they're in that category as well. Iowa State's been disappointing at times, uh, but think they should be able to win by a touchdown or more. And then Arizona State just to win the game at Utah. I think I like that one, and, and all three of our numbers like Arizona State to, to win that game as well. All right, well, that will wrap it up for this week. Uh, we hope you guys win all your bets. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter 
at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. Mm-hmm.